podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast on a cold and wet Monday, the 18th of January. We're brought to you by epillindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at libertyshield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. Home of Hopcroft for all your giftware and homeware needs. Check out Home of Hopcroft. .co.uk. Right, we had eight games in the Premier League this weekend. Obviously, Aston Villa versus Everton was postponed, and Newcastle versus Arsenal at the Emirates is tonight. But we did have eight games, so we're going to run through those. First up, we had Wolves against West Brom in the Black Country Derby. Massive win for West Brom. Massive, massive win for West Brom. A 3-2 victory over their local rivals. Another hugely disappointing performance for uh, for Wolves, West Brom get their win through two penalties from Mateus Pereira and a Sammy Ajayi headed goal, which I think might still be looping over Rui Patricio right now. Uh, Fabio Silva got his first Premier League goal, which was huge for Wolves, a second goal for Wolves, but first goal from open play for, for Wolves um, with a really nice finish. And Willie Bolly uh, with a, a tidy finish for a centre-back uh, with their second this is a very disappointing result for Wolves. They had 68% possession. They had 23 shots, though only six on target. Again, with Nuno, tactically, they weren't the best. Connor Cody stank the place out, absolutely stank the place out, and was hauled off. Such was his level of stinking. Uh, really strange decision to play Roman Sice at left-back when he's a six-foot-four centre-back or holding midfielder who doesn't play left-back. Um, and it kind of hampered the team. It, it took away one of their avenues of attack, made them very lopsided. Everything was going down the right through Semedo and Adama. Neto had no real support on the left, and anytime he picked the ball up, there was nobody overlapping. I mean, Sice was was jogging up the field, but nobody was overlapping at pace. The decision not to play eight Nuri cost them massively there. Uh, Cody, once again, exposed. Just the guy's not a good defender. It's as simple as that. Uh, but it, like I say, huge win for, for West Brom. Hopefully they'll take some confidence out of this now. It may just be that they got up for a derby, but look, anytime you're beating your local rivals, it's huge. Wolves are 14th in the league. Now, they've now played 19 games. That's half the season. That puts them on course for a 44-point season. Last season, they finished 7th, and they managed 59 points. The season before, they also finished 7th. And they landed on 57 points. So it's a huge, huge drop-off for Wolves. I've been saying, I don't know if Nuno's there long-term. I don't know if they can go any further under him, whether they've just hit the wall, the message is not getting through anymore. But it's been a disastrous first half of the season for them. Newcastle are one spot behind them, three points behind them, but do have two games in hand. If Newcastle could go to the Emirates tonight and beat Arsenal, they would go above Wolves. If Newcastle were to get a draw out of their game against Villa, again, that'll put them a point ahead. So, look, not good for Wolves. They've got some injuries. The Jimenez one is is obviously massive, but it doesn't get easier from here. They've got Chelsea next in the league. Then they're away to Palace. Then they've got Arsenal at home. And then it's Leicester. That's a tough run of games. It's hard to see, other than Palace and Arsenal at home, it's hard to see a win there. You'd expect that Chelsea will beat them at Stamford Bridge, especially given Wolves are in the bottom half, and that's what Chelsea do. And you would expect that Leicester will get a result at Molyneux. Um, I think Nuno obviously will see out the season. I don't, don't think there's any risk of him being fired, but I do wonder if in the summer 
they come to terms on a mutual agreement that it's best for everybody to part ways for him to head off to a new club and a new challenge and for them to go in a little bit of a different direction and make the most of the talent that's at the club. There's a, there's a ton of talent at that club. Ruben Neves could play for pretty much anyone in the league. Neto could play for anyone in the league. Jimenez is one of the best strikers in the league. Then Donker is really good. Semedo's really good. Nuri is really good. Pedence is very talented. They've got a very good goalkeeper in Patricio. They need a couple of centre-backs and they need a striker who can either play with Jimenez or be a quality, reliable backup to Jimenez. They brought back Patrick Catrone from his loan spell of Fiorentina and he missed a sitter that could have given them a draw here. But all in all, a, a terrible weekend for Wolves. Um, off the back of the disappointing defeat at home to Everton in midweek, they've now lost at home again to West Brom. And um, it's it's tough to see how their season picks up from here. It really is. For West Brom, big, big win. Gets them to within one point from Fulham. Uh, they still say, stay 19, so they're still in, you know, in the bottom three. And they're five points off Burnley. And Burnley have a game in hand. Burnley said 17th. West Brom's next games, they're away to West Ham. That'll be tough. Then they're at home to City. The last time they played City, they got a draw. And then Billich got sacked. Um, but then it then it does turn for them a little bit. They've got Fulham at home and Sheffield United away. If they could take a point from West Ham and then beat Fulham and, and Sheffield United, all of a sudden they put themselves in with a chance. After that, it gets a little bit more difficult with, with Spurs and United. But then it's Burnley and Brighton. So by the end of February, we're going to know with West Brom. I, I think they're going down. But over the next six weeks, they do have an opportunity to turn their season around. They've got winnable games. They've still got a couple of weeks left in the transfer market. I know Big Sam is cribbing and crying about Brexit ruining deals for players. He shouldn't have voted for it then. Um, they've given themselves a bit of a chance here. That's what I'll say. They've given themselves a bit of a chance. They can turn things around. Sam knows how to get out of relegation battles. I think this is the toughest one he's ever had. I think when you look at the the caliber of the squad, they've got good attacking options. But now Carlin Grant is ruled out for you know for a number of months, so they don't have a, a real goal scorer. Their options in midfield are decent, but they're missing kind of one key piece, and the defense is not very good at all. It's a big, big task for Sam. He's going to have to turn things around quickly, but the next six weeks will be massively telling for them. On then to West Ham against Burnley. Mikel Antonio puts West Ham 1-0 up after nine minutes, capitalizing on a defensive error by Ben Mee. And that's all she wrote. Um, a 1-0 win for West Ham. Burnley, in what can maybe be the first time ever, had 56% of the possession away from home, which will tell you how West, where West Ham set up and how they played once they went 1-0 up. But the defensive line held out. Dawson and Agbona turned in good performances. Suchek and Kufal, the, the two checks they brought in, once again, top marks for them, really, really good. And a good performance from Declan Rice in his sitting midfield role. Early on, we saw some really nice build-up play between Ben Rama or, and Fornals, using Antonio as the outlet and, and uh, Bowen able to kind of float in off the wing. And I do think if, if they continued to play in that manner, West Ham probably could have got a second or third. They did play the better football. Uh, Burnley a little bit reductive again they went with the two big rocks up front but they ended up taking them both off uh, Dwight McNeil came off the bench so it's good to have him back Jay Rodriguez and Vidra came on Look, Jay Rodriguez is a decent player but unfortunately for Vidra he is a championship player he is a player that has always excelled in the championship and then just not turned up in the Premier League he's caught in between he needs to go to the championship in the championship he can be a difference maker if you're a championship club on the playoff bubble, on the promotion bubble, Vidra would make a lot of sense if you've got the money. Make a move. I think they'd sell him. He's a good player. He's just not cut out for the, for the Premier League. Um, West Ham sitting now in ninth position, as they were, maintaining ground with, with Chelsea, which is really impressive. Back-to-back -back wins. Only one defeat in the last five. That's impressive. Uh, plus four goal differential again. At this point in the season, that is impressive after 18 games played. Up next for them, they have West Brom tomorrow. 
then they're away to Palace, then they're home to Liverpool, then they're away to Villa, then they're home, away to Fulham, home to Sheffield United, away to Spurs, and home, sorry, away to Man City. So, so it's a tough run of games. There are winnable games there, though. There's games that they'll definitely pick up points in. They should be able to maintain what has been a, a shockingly good first half of the season for them. You'd expect them, as I said, to beat West Brom tonight. You'd expect them to maybe pull a point at Palace. Liverpool at home obviously would be tough, but Liverpool are in dreadful form. So they'll go into that game confident unless Liverpool have turned things around. The Villa one is very, very tough. Away to Villa would be very tough. But, you know, Fulham, there's another game they can win. Sheffield United at home, that's a game they should win. Spurs at home, I mean, the last time they played Spurs, they were 3-0 down and dead and buried and came back to get a point. So they'll be confident. They will be confident over the next six weeks that they can do enough to maintain uh, their top half position, especially when you consider Leeds keep falling over their own feet. Palace don't really have the ambition for top half under Hodgson. Uh, Wolves have been just really, really poor. Um, Arsenal are the one club that could maybe take it from them. But, um, you know, all things considered, Moyes is doing a hell of a job. He is doing a hell of a job this season. For Burnley, it is a little bit disappointing. Uh, they go to Liverpool on Thursday. Again, Liverpool in terrible form. Burnley, a good defensive team, could cause Liverpool a lot of problems. Uh, then they're at home to Villa, which will be tough. Away to Chelsea, again, tough. At home to City, like, that is a killer run. Those four games, that is a horrible, horrible run for them and may cause them to get dragged back in a little bit of Fulham and West Brom, pick up some points. Uh, at home to Burnley, away to Palace, at home to West Brom in what's going to be a huge game, and away to Spurs, it's not a good run for Burnley. It really is going to be a big test. Them. They're another club that needs to get some players in. They need at least one in defence. They could do it a new right back, someone who's not 35 or 32 years of age. They could probably do it another winger, as I've been saying, a spark plug off the bench, someone who could do what Aaron Lennon used to do for them. And I think they need a difference maker up front. And by difference maker, I don't mean someone who's going to come in and score 15 goals over the second half of the season. I mean someone that's just different and will give them a different style of play. Uh, um, Adam Armstrong at, at Blackburn would be great. I think he'd be outside their budget for January. But someone in that mold uh, could be a really, a really good fit for them. Third game of the weekend then, uh, Brighton won Leeds nil at Elland Road. Disappointing result for Leeds. You really have to look at Leeds with and without Calvin Phillips. They're just a different team. No Phillips in this game. And they didn't have the defensive solidity that he brings. Now, obviously, they've been poor defensively this season, but he does add a, a, a good level of protection to the centre-backs. Um, I think we saw why Luke Ayling is a right-back and not a centre-back in this game. His positioning on the Brighton goal was was shocking. A really nice goal for Brighton. Lovely interplay. Trissard, Alexis McAllister, key in the build-up. And uh, Neil Mope with a simple finish. Alexis McAllister was really good in this game. Really lively. Really creative, inventive. I think he shows he, he should be starting for this team on a regular basis. He's probably the most talented player at the club. Leads to the majority of possession, but both teams had seven shots. Uh, with two on target, four leads. It means they stay 12th. Now, look, 12th is, is a great achievement for a team that's newly promoted. 17th is a great achievement for a team that's newly promoted. So Leeds will still be happy where they are, uh, but that's a disappointing result that I think they'd want back. They go to Newcastle uh, tomorrow night. Then they've got Leicester away in a tough one on Sunday. Everton at home, another tough one. Then Palace at home, Arsenal away, Wolves away, Villa at home. That brings them through to the end of February. It's a tough next six weeks. It really is a tough next six weeks for, for Leeds. I don't think they're going to have any problems in terms of getting dragged into the relegation mix. Like They're 11 points clear of Fulham as things stand. But they do need to be aware that just because you've had a good first half of the season doesn't mean you can't capitulate in the second half. Doesn't mean you're not going to end up 17th and maybe looking over your shoulder. They could do with a couple of additions. I thought the decision by Bielsa to play Harrison right and Rafinha left was really strange and didn't work for them at all. Limited how they could play. 
Harrison as a more direct attacking left winger, really good at crossing on the run, could have exploited the fact that Joel Veltman was playing right wing back slash right wing. And Rafinha is just so much better on the left. With him, you don't want him hugging the touchline. You want him coming in field, being involved in the in the build-up play, being your one of your main creators. The link that him and Rodrigo had developed on the, the right of that flat forward to play behind Bamford had been really strong of late, and they took that away. And I, I don't think either Harrison or Rafinha played well in this game. So hopefully uh, Bielsa changes it back. Big, big win for Brighton. A desperately needed win. Their third of the season. It keeps them five, sorry, sends them five points clear of um, of Fulham, gets them above uh, Burnley. They have um, Fulham next in, now that's a massive game now. Massive game for Fulham, massive for Brighton. If Brighton win, it opens up a whole bunch of road between them and Fulham. Because after that, then they've got Spurs at home, Liverpool away, Burnley away, Villa at home, Palace at home, and then West Brom. There's winnable games there. There's a couple of games you, you'd actually fancy them to pick up a point or two. Like Spurs at home, they've done really well playing against the bigger clubs at home. They just haven't gotten the results. Maybe they get the result there. Liverpool away. Again, Liverpool not playing very well. They could get a result at Burnley. for a win and then West Brom away there's that, that's a potential win as well so there's three potential wins a couple of potential points they're not going to get the the tenth spot that I had hoped for them but I think I think things are starting to change around for them um the decision to play McAllister is helping he's such a good creative player they need to get that striker in it looks like Percy Tower is just going to be what they do and right out till the summer and look you can kind of understand it, but I do think they are punting the season a little bit, and that's a little bit disappointing. Um, if it if it goes against them and they end up in the championship, it'll be because they didn't spend the money. Uh, Fulham nil, Chelsea won. Uh, another less than impressive Chelsea performance, it must be said. Game was fairly even in the first half, and then Anthony Robinson just had a moment where he seemed to lose all sense and reason. And he chopped down Cesar Azpilicueta, straight red card, can be no dispute about the decision. Now, what I will say is, go back and watch the Liverpool-Southampton game and watch Theo Walcott's challenge on James Milner. All we ask for with officials is consistency. Across the board, consistency. There's no consistency in the Premier League. Robinson was rightly sent off. Walcott didn't even get a free kick given against him. Uh, Mason Mount gets the winner for Chelsea late on 78 minute good finish and the hyperbole started oh he's their best player he's technically brilliant he's so consistent technically he's very good he's not brilliant he's he's very good consistency is not something he has in his game at this point just you just need to watch them play regularly and you see that he has games where he's just poor and that's understandable he's a young player he's still finding his way still understanding a role learning still a new role as a number eight He's definitely not the best player at the club. There's, there's just no argument to be made that he's the best player at the club. He may well be the most important player at the club. And I, I'm higher on Mason Mount than most people who aren't Frank Lampard uh, and Chelsea fans. Uh, I think he's a very good young player. But he's not the best player at the club. But he is their best presser. He's the best conduit in that he can take the ball from defence and give it to the attack. He's a clever player. I think he's going to develop into a very, very good player. As things stand, he's obviously best suited to a three. I do think long-term, he can play in a midfield too. He has the attributes to do it. He'll need to curb some of his instincts to go and chase the ball. But his passing ability, his positional sense, his reading of the game, his understanding of space, I do think Mason Mount in a two long-term could be very good. And that could facilitate... Chelsea sorting out what's going on in front. They'll need the right partner for him. Kovacic is is, is good in a two, but not not suited to playing with Mount. Kante's good in a two, but again, not suited to playing with Mount. Declan Rice, who, as far as I know, is Mason Mount's best friend. That could be the pairing. Rice, the more defensive one. Mount, the more attacking one. But as a two, as a double pivot, 
that could be something that will work very well. We'll find out because it is widely expected that Declan Rice will end up at Chelsea. Um, as I say, again, not, not the best performance from Chelsea, but a win is a win. And that's all Frank will care about. Uh, for now, they remain seventh in the league. It's not where they would want to be, but they are still within touching distance of the uh, the top four. They're five points behind Liverpool. They have Wolves next. Then they have Burnley. Then Spurs away. Sheffield United away. Newcastle at home. Southampton away. And then Manchester United at home. So there's, a, there's winnable games. There's games they'll expect to win. There's at least four games there that they'll expect to win. Wolves, Burnley, Sheffield United, Newcastle. They're games they will expect to win. Sorry, they have Leicester first. They have Leicester tomorrow. Um, Leicester's a tough game, especially away and in their top half. So it's going to be difficult for, for Chelsea. The Spurs game will be very difficult. Southampton away will be difficult. And obviously United's going to be a tough one. So it's hard to see that they'll make up ground in the top four over the next six weeks. But they have the talent to go on a bit of a run. It's likely they just don't have the manager. I I, I look at them and I just don't know what Frank is thinking half the time. Um, he left Werner and Havertz on the bench, um, maybe resting them for Luton at the weekend. I don't know. But uh, it, it didn't work what he tried. He brought Hudson-Odoi on, and he said afterwards that Hudson-Odoi should have started. It's almost like he you know, didn't have any input in that, which you know, would be weird, but not completely unsurprising. There are some who would suggest that Jody Morris is basically the one who trains and picks the team, and Frank is just the figurehead. But whether there's any truth to that, I, I don't know. But, you know, Frank's not long for that job. I, I think that's fair to say. I think that's a safe bet that next season, at the latest next season, Chelsea will have a different manager, uh, likely a German in one of those life preserver things that you normally see people wearing on a boat, but he seems to think is some sort of fashion statement. Um, for Fulham, it's a disappointing one, and the results around them, didn't go their way either with Brighton getting the win, with West Brom getting the win. So they stay in 18th position. They have Manchester United at home on Wednesday, so it's not getting much easier. But then that Brighton game, that is huge. On the 27th of January, that game is massive. And then they've got West Brom after that. So again, like their season could could swing on, on those four days. Um, then they're at home to Leicester. At home to West Ham, away to Everton, at home to Sheffield United in another must-win game, and away to Palace. That's their next six weeks. There's three or four very winnable games there. Very winnable games. They have the talent. Like Chelsea, I just don't think they have the manager. Um, They've had a bunch of draws, obviously, coming into this game, but they don't look like scoring a whole bunch of goals. They don't look like they're ever really playing with a set purpose. Um, Cavaliero missed an absolute sitter. An absolute sitter in this game. But, I mean, the quality in the squad is there. Kenny Tete is a quality player. Olaine, uh, Joe Anderson's been great. Uh, Tosin's been great. Robinson, you know, brain fart aside, very, very good. Zambo's been one of the five best midfielders in the league this season. He's just playing for Fulham and nobody's noticed. Uh, Luckman's good. Harrison Reed is good. Bobby Reed's all right. I Cavaliero, he's a good player until he's within 15 yards of goal and then it'll, the wheels fall off and he just ends up falling over. They need to make a move in this window. They need to get a goal scorer in because it, it seems like he's not all that keen on Mitrovic. If it is going to be Mitrovic, I think it needs to be somebody that plays off the right-hand side. Loftus-Cheek will find his way into the team. I, I think go to a back four, play 4-2-3-1, Aina, Anderson, Tosin, Robinson, I think that's your best back four. Um, Zambo and Lamine is probably the best two. Loftus-Cheek is a 10. Luckman on the left. Either go with Mitrovic up front and buy someone who plays on the right-hand side and will bring some goals. If you could find whoever this year's Jared Bowen is, that would be ideal. Um, aside from that, maybe you stick with Reed or Cavaliero on the right and you buy a striker to, to replace Mitrovic, the one I'd suggested, Arcadius Milik, he, he's off the, off the table now, but there are going to be guys out there in January that you, you could aim for. Um, nice to see Josh Onama play, though. Nice to see him get a game because 
he was really important to getting them up. Then they didn't register him in the first half of the season. Uh, now he gets a game, and, and, he, and he did quite well when he came on, it must be said. Um, but yeah, Fulham and Chelsea both likely need, need new managers. Lots of talent at both clubs, both been underutilised. The last game then on Saturday was Leicester at home to Southampton. This was a, a pretty cracking game, if I'm being honest. I really enjoyed watching this game. Uh, Leicester get the 2 0 win. And James Madison with a very, very good goal early on, uh, early on, 37 minutes in, first half. Um, from the narrow angle, just lifts it into the roof of the net, absolutely buries it past Alex McCarthy. You could tell Southampton were missing Danny Ings, but I thought Che Adams had himself a good game. Uh, Walcott looked a little bit out of sorts in the front two. I think he's better when he plays one of the more advanced midfield roles. Will Smallbone and Stuart Armstrong played those roles. Smallbone is a good young player, but he just doesn't quite look ready for the Premier League. Uh, Diallo had another solid outing in midfield. And if he if that is what he is, if that's the player he's going to be, they have a belter on their hands, an absolute belter on their hands. That partnership him and Ward-Prowse could become really, really good. Um, great win for Leicester, though. Another top-half team that they've just swept away. Um, Wesley Fafana just one of the signings of the season James Justin has been incredible this season and was phenomenal in this game and it really does beg the question of when Pereira is fully fit and into the team are you dropping James Justin or is Tim Castney the one that gets left, left out because for me I don't know that there's been a better fullback in the league this season than James Justin both sides he's been brilliant and you'd wonder if, when they get to the summer, they may consider selling Pereira, given they have Justin, given they have Castanier, uh, young, is it Luke Thomas? And they may well buy a left-back. They've been linked with a couple. So Pereira may be not long for, for, there for him. The promising thing for them this weekend, though, Soyuncu back on the bench and Ricardo Pereira back on the bench. They're pretty much back to full strength. They pretty much have everybody back now. And they're a formidable-looking team. Um, Ndidi and Thielemans capable of matching any midfield. Madison and Barnes, great creativity and goal threat. And obviously Jamie Vardy is Jamie Vardy. Leicester are, are not going to be a pushover. They're not going to go away. They stay third in the league. Level on points at Man City, though City have played a game less. Uh, for Leicester next, Chelsea tomorrow night. That's a big game. Then Everton away. That'll be tough. Leeds at home, again, it'll be tough. Fulham away, Wolves away, Liverpool at home, uh, Villa away, and then Arsenal at home. Now, the Europa League starts up as well, which could make things a little bit difficult for them, but it is Slavia Prague. You'd expect them that they can rest some players and still go through. Um, they've got Brentford in the FA Cup, but again, you'd expect they can maybe rest some players and still go through. They may not, might not care about the FA Cup this year, although it would be good uh, for them and for Brendan to get some silverware. So maybe they should go all in for the FA Cup this year and maybe bin off the Europa League, which nobody wants to. You don't want to win the Europa League. It's too many games. Um, I know you get Champions League spot at the end of it, but look, they, they're on course to get Champions League anyway. Um, yeah, like I say, Le Leicester, again, I, I was wrong about them at the start of the season. I thought that... The terrible form from last season could carry in. It hasn't. They've been really good, and um, and they remain really good. For Southampton, they drop one spot to eighth. Chelsea take over in seventh. Um, Arsenal on Tuesday. No, that's not right. Sorry, I'm wrong. They've got Shrewsbury tomorrow in the FA Cup. Then Arsenal next Tuesday. Um, they'll play Shrewsbury tomorrow, and then the winner will play in the FA Cup at the weekend. So... Short turnaround for the Cup, but at least it means they can rest some players. Arsenal next Tuesday at home, then Villa at home, then away to United, away to Newcastle, Wolves at home, Chelsea at home, and Everton away. So, so some winnable games, but a tough run. They've been great so far this season. If they can, can maintain a top half spot up until the end of February, that'll be a great achievement because... After that, then, they've got some games that you'd expect them to pick up quite a few points and uh, and continue on as they go. Um, into Sunday, then. Three games. Two were quite enjoyable. One was not. Uh, <laughs> Sheffield United won. Spurs, three. Um, 
Spurs looked really good in this game for the majority. They did have a little bit of a lapse, about uh, 50 to 60 minutes. They weren't particularly good. That 10-minute spell, and Sheffield United capitalized and got themselves a goal in that spell. But Serge Aurier had put Spurs 1-0 up with a header after five minutes. Uh, Harry Kane doubled it on 40. I think you've got to ask questions about Aaron Ramsdale on that one. It's it's a decently hit shot, but it's not really traveling at all that much of, of, of a clip. It's pretty central as well. You'd really, really be questioning your goalkeeper on that one. Um, David McGoldrick, who is the top scorer for Sheffield United this season, pulls one back on 59, and then three minutes later, Tangai Endembele wraps things up. He has been really good this season. When he is good, Spurs are good. He's gone from being viewed as a flop last season and having the spoofer with the catchphrase linking him to, you know, all and sundry over the summer to all of a sudden being absolutely indispensable to Spurs. If you look at Kane up front, Son on the left, Bergwijn on the right, and him as the 10, that is a formidable front four that are only going to keep getting better. Um, Heusberg has been great in midfield behind them. If they get the right partner for Heusberg, all of a sudden that's that's really, really strong. That is really, really strong. Um, defensively, Spurs still have things that they need to work on. They're still a little bit loose. They gave up 15 shots, five on target in this game. That's too many against a, a bad team. Um, I, know, I know Sheffield United are at home. I know they're fighting for everything they have. But it's still too many shots for a team like Spurs to be giving up in a game like this. Um, for Spurs, they are now fifth. Uh, one point behind Liverpool, who are fourth. And they play each other on the 29th. Sorry, the 28th. That is the next league game for Spurs. They'll play Wickham on Monday night. Then Liverpool uh, away. Sorry, Liverpool at home. Then they're away to Brighton, at home to Chelsea, at home to West Brom, away to City. They beat City the last time. I think that could be a very different game. Uh, they've got West Ham away and Burnley away. Again, for them, Europa League. But it's Wolfsburg, not the one from Germany, the one from Austria. So again, play your second team. You should have more than enough quality to get through. It is a tough run of games for Spurs, though. Um, I've said since the start of the season, if they don't get top four, it's a massive failure. I think anything below top three is a failure, but if they get fourth, you know, it's Champions League football. Anything below that is has got to be considered a big, big failure for that squad with that much talent and that much investment. No, I'm sorry. Anything below top four, unacceptable. Now, when you look at the current top four, They've got a better team than United and a better manager than United. They've got, I would say, about an even team with Leicester, but a better manager than Leicester. They've got a better squad than Leicester. They've got a better squad than Liverpool, but Liverpool have a better starting eleven, even with Van Dijk out. And Liverpool have a better manager, a better manager. City have a better, better team. Squad is probably even enough though. And at this point in their careers, Pep is better than, than Jose. I genuinely think anything other than top four has got to be considered failure. For what they have in that squad, Kane, Son, Endembele, Heusberg, Alderweireld, Regulon, these are quality players. Like, look at the players not getting games. Bale, Ali, Carlos Vinicius, Lucas Moura, Lacelso. I know he's injured, but he, you know, he wouldn't be a starter for them, I don't think, unless he comes in on the right for Bergvine. But there's so much talent in that squad. To not get top four would be a huge failure. A huge failure. Um, they're really well balanced as well. Like They've got one of the best defensive records and one of the best attacks in the league. So they just need to stop dropping silly points. That's their issue. They've dropped silly points this season. Newcastle, that's two points dropped. West Ham, another two points dropped. Fulham, another two points drop. Those six points are the difference between them being top of the league, two points clear, and fifth staring up at the at the top four. Um, for Sheffield United, they got the win last last time out. Five points from nineteen games, it, it puts them on track for a, a ten point season, which would be the worst ever. 
Um, things don't get much easier for them. They've got Plymouth in the Cup. Win the game, carry on that Cup run. It might just give you something to cheer for this season. But in the league, they've got the two Manchester clubs next, both away. So United first, then City. Then they play uh, West Brom at home in, a, in an absolute must win. Then they're at home to Chelsea, away to West Ham. Fulham away, again, an absolute must win. And Liverpool at home. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a killer run of games. It really is a killer run of games. You've got four of the, the top seven. Um, and West Ham, who are, who are ninth. But there are two games there that they need to win. Like They need to beat West Brom. They need to beat Fulham. On the flip side, West Brom need to beat them and Fulham need to beat them. So it's it's hard to see where the points are coming from. It really is. Uh, you know, you, you want them to do well. You really want Chris Wilder to do well, regardless of his nonsense with the three substitutions, which has hampered him as much as, as anybody else. But it, it's just hard to see where they pick up points. It really is. It's hard to see the way they get enough points to stay up. At this point, maybe the goal is let's just get enough points not to be the worst team ever. I think that's got to be, you know, that's the goal. If you can do above that, great. If you if you fall short of it, you go down in infamy, and that's not somewhere you want to be. After that, we had uh, the biggest game in English football, without question, is, is Liverpool versus Manchester United. It is the most important game, the most historic games, two biggest clubs in the country. And what they served up was pretty much a stinker. Uh, Nil-nil. Ollie came and, you know, he parked some buses and hoped that the counter-attack would would be United's saviour or path to victory. Liverpool lined up with Fabinho and Jordan Henderson playing at centre-back. Fabinho's been there all season and he's been brilliant. Henderson had played there half against Fulham, not look good. Half uh, The full game against it happened and not look good. Now, he did look a bit better in this game. He was better on the ball, for sure. Defensively, there were issues, and United's two biggest chances, uh, one for Bruno Fernandes that Allison saved, one for Paul Pogba that Allison saved. Both came from Henderson's lack of positional awareness. Uh, United probably had the three biggest chances in the game and another good chance where Rashford went through 1v1 against Fabinho, tried to knock it by him and run, but Fabinho was, was brilliant and managed to intercept and, and, and just hustle him away from goal. Bruno had a second good chance, but again, Fabinho with a brilliant block. Liverpool had the vast majority of possession with 66% of the ball. They had 17 shots in the game, but only three on target. United had eight shots in the game, but four on target. Somehow, Liverpool were blown for four, for 15 fouls as opposed to United six. Now, a couple of them were cynical fouls to stop counterattacks, but that doesn't really add up. A little bit of controversy in the game where... Just as there was a minute of added time added at the end of the first half. Now, that's meant to be a minimum of one minute. It is announced as a minimum of one minute. 54 seconds in, the referee blows his whistle. Just before he blows his whistle, the ball is played over the top to Sadio Mane, who is onside and runs onto it with about 35, 40 yards standing between him and the goal and only David De Gea to beat. The referee blows his whistle. Now, look, it may be that he had the whistle ready to blow before the ball was played through to Mane, but we need an explanation as to why the whistle was blown. A bl- blowed, blown. Um, simple as that. United deserved a point. I-, I think they deserved a point. They were unlucky not to come away with all three. They did have the better chances in the game. Liverpool were by far the better team in the game, but the front three are all out of form. Salah has been carrying them this season from from a goal perspective, but the last few games obviously not playing well. Firmino has been poor for about 15 months now. And I think there's a very real conversation that needs to take place at Liverpool over the future of the number nine position. I'm very much of the opinion that we have seen the best of Bobby Firmino and that we won't see it again, that he is now declining and that while he will have games where he turns up and is really good, you're not going to get that consistently again. Mane has been largely poor probably since late October. Had that long run of games where he didn't score. Scored against Palace and has been pretty desperate since, if we're being honest. Pretty desperate since then. Um, so Liverpool have, have things they need to sort out in attack. 
the midfield played really well. Uh, Alcantara was excellent. Ginny Wijnaldum was good. Shakiri was good until he got he got really tired. But he's not a midfielder. He's playing out of position. But he did well. They were creative and inventive. Now John Barnes, who I love. I mean, I grew up adoring John Barnes, idolizing the man. He has come out today and said that Thiago Alcantara is the reason Liverpool are struggling for goals because, and I quote, he slows the game too much. So, Liverpool scored one goal against West Brom early on and haven't scored since. Alcantara didn't play in that game where they struggled to create anything. Uh, They struggled to create anything against Newcastle. Alcantara didn't start that game. He came on with about 20 minutes to go and was the most inventive player on the pitch. Uh, um, the Southampton game was the Southampton game. The whole team were trash. And against New- against United, he was the best midfielder on the pitch. He ran the show. He put Bruno Fernandes in his pocket defensively while being a constant threat to United with his passing and his prompting. I would say, other than Fabinho and Alisson Becker, he was probably the best player on the pitch. Uh, so John Barnes is talking over bobbins. Over Bobbins is what he's talking. Uh, Thiago Alcantara is one of the best midfield players in the world, and he is not the problem at Liverpool at all. If you look at Liverpool's results across the season, they started off well. You know, they score four against um, Leeds. They score two in the second half against Chelsea when he comes on and, and is running the game. They score three against Arsenal. They score two against Villa while getting walloped. And then they score two against Everton while he is on the field being brilliant. Uh, he then gets injured. They score one away to Ajax and are desperate. They score two at home to Sheffield United and are desperate. Two at home to Midtjylland, again, not very good. Um, two at home to West Ham, didn't play well. Five away to Atalanta, blew them away, great. One at City, fine. Three at Leicester, three at home to Leicester. Again, really good performance. Didn't score against Atalanta at home. He didn't play in these games. He didn't play in any of these games, by the way. Uh, one all at Brighton, front three, poor. He wasn't on the field. Uh, one nil at home to Ajax. Again, he's not on the field. Wallop Wolves, largely down to Connor Cody, just not knowing what he was doing. Uh, one all away to Midtjylland. Wasn't playing. Uh, one all away to Fulham. Again, he's not he's not playing. They need a penalty. The front three don't play well. Uh, 2-1 at home to Spurs and really struggled to create a whole lot of much. They won a Palace. Palace kind of gave up. That's fine. And then the recent games. Liverpool, through the whole season, have been struggling to score goals on a consistent basis. This is not a Thiago Alcantara problem. This is a Sadio Mane Roberto Firmino problem that Mo Salah has now been dragged into because he was carrying the load. And the problem is threefold. Number one, the main creative force for Liverpool over the last two seasons, not counting this one, was Trent Alexander-Arnold. Marauding right back, incredible cross to the ball, great passer, very inventive mind. He has been atrocious this season. And atrocious is probably being kind to him. He's been awful. So you take away the main creator. There's the problem. Number two, Virgil van Dijk is out of the team. He's got a ruptured cruciate ligament in his knee. So you lose your best defender. So you also lose your quickest defender and the foundational piece that your whole team is really built on. Liverpool transformed from a decent team who were you know, fourth in the league to an all-conquering Champions League winning, Premier League winning team when Virgil van Dijk signed. Other players helped. He was the main one. He took them from being okay, decent, good at times, capable, to really, really good the minute he arrived. Champions League final five months after he signed. He's out of the team. What he brings, obviously, leadership. He's the leader of the team. He's the organizer. He's the one that holds people accountable. He doesn't run around swearing at them. He just holds them accountable like a proper leader. Um, 
he also enables them to play a very, very high line. And when Liverpool play a high line, they are able to compress the space and turn a full pitch into half a pitch. That allows Fabinho to play a little bit higher as the holding midfielder than he normally would in a deeper back line. That then allows Jordan Henderson and Ginny Wijnaldum to press really high. And I mean really, I'm talking edge of the opposition box. Turn the ball over, and then Mane and Salah were thriving in those transitions where Liverpool were winning the ball really high up. It was one pass into the box goal. Without Van Dijk, the defensive line had to drop because they don't have the players capable of playing as high a line, especially when Joe Gomez got hurt. So the line drops. Fabinho has to come out of that holding midfield role into a centre-back role. He's been brilliant, but he can't play in a high line with Matip or Phillips or Williams because they don't have the pace. He could do it with Virgil, no problem. We saw them go to, to Chelsea. The two of them played at centre-back and they just were, they were phenomenal. So that's a major issue. You've also got Fabinho coming out of the midfield and Jordan Henderson having to play there for the most part. Nowhere near the defensive presence. Uh, not nearly as intelligent as a, a footballer as Fabinho. That has affected the number eight's ability to press on and compress the space, which means that the front three are pressing and there's not as much coming behind them in terms of help. So what you're seeing is the pitch becoming bigger, which Liverpool don't want, and the front three having to drop deeper to try and help out in midfield, win the ball deeper, and then carry it quite a distance to try and make something happen. So main creator, not in the team. Pitch becoming bigger. They've been asked to do a lot more off the ball and in terms of creating for themselves. That's the second problem. And the third problem is they've just played far too much football. Over the last number of years, they've just played far too much football. Between having to play pretty much every game for Liverpool because they didn't have a quality back up until they signed Jota, who's now injured, um, Champions League, Premier League, and then obviously off with their national teams, international tournaments most summers, just, you know, very, very difficult to maintain the level, especially when you consider, now, with all due respect, I don't imagine that the, the facilities and standards with Senegal or Egypt are as high as they are with Liverpool, or even with Brazil. And I'd imagine the standards and, and, and facilities with Brazil are, are quite high because they're basically the Harlem Globetrotters of football, but you know they travel so much that you, you don't imagine it's always consistently high. Factor in all that travel as well. It's a long-ass flight to Senegal or Egypt, let alone to Brazil for whatever uh, Bobby has to go and do over there. You look at their games. So, in the last... Since Mane joined, okay, 29 games in the league... Sorry, 29 games overall in 16-17. Then 44, then 50, then 47. 24 already this season. Add to that, 7 for Senegal in 16, 10 in 17... 9 and 18, 11 in 19, and 2 last year, because obviously COVID hampered a lot of things. But that's a lot of football in a five-year, four-and-a-half-year span. And he's had a couple of injuries. Then you factor in Firmino. Signed for Liverpool in 15-16. 49 games, 41, 54, 48, 52, 25 so far this season. In, 18, in, in 2018 and 2019, you played 26 games for Brazil. Just those two years. Again, it's an awful lot of football. And then Salah, who, I mean, he's, he's been sensational, but 52 games for Liverpool his first season, 52 again the second season, 48 last season, 25 so far this season. Like, the guy's a machine. For his international team, 6 in 2016, 11 in 2017, 6 in 2018, and 5 in 2019. Didn't play last season because obviously COVID or whatever. Maybe he did. I, I, maybe that's just not updated. But regardless, factor in as well, Salah and Mane, by far the best players for their country. 
all the added expectation, all the added pressure that goes with that. They've just played far too much football, the three of them. As I say, I think Firmino might be on the wane. But the other two, it's it's fatigue. It's Trent been out of form as the lack of Virgil. There's your answer. Um, as I said earlier, Liverpool are now fourth in the league. Um, however, Everton are sixth and have a game in hand and could go above them. Up next for Liverpool, they've got Burnley on Thursday. Then Spurs the following Thursday away. West Ham away, Brighton at home, City at home, <coughs> excuse me, City at home, Leicester away, Everton at home, and Sheffield United away. It's a very, very difficult month of February for Liverpool. The Spurs game this month will be tough, but the, you know, they, they'd expect to beat Burnley, they'd expect to beat West Ham, even though West Ham have been good. They would expect to beat Brighton, but City, Leicester, Everton, those are very, three very, very tough games in a row. Also, Champions League, they've got Leipzig. That's a tough one. It's going to be a difficult time for Liverpool. They need to act in this market. They need to get a centre-back in so that either Fabinho can go back into midfield when Matip is fit or that so Fabinho has not been partnered by Jordan Henderson so Henderson can play in midfield. They need to get it done. They need to get it done in the next week and two-thirds. And then they need to look at the striker thing in the summer. Um, For United, I've been saying... I don't think they're anywhere near as good as their league position suggests. Now, they have been better of late. For the most of the season, they were largely terrible in the league. Maybe not most. I would say up until they played Leeds, they'd been largely terrible in the league. They were really good against Leeds. They put in a decent performance against Leicester. They were good against Wolves. Good half against Villa. Um, not particularly good against Burnley. And, a, they, you know, a bit of a scruff of a goal. They weren't good here, other than their counterattacks were very, very good. They didn't show enough ambition. There was no real devi- defined patterns of play. It didn't really feel there was a real tactical plan other than let's sit in and hope for the best here. What was a back four with two sitting midfielders largely became a back six. Pogba was floating around on the right doing whatever it was he was doing. Martial looked lost on the left. Rashford looked a little bit lost up front. You wonder why it wasn't Rashford on the right, Pogba on the left, and Martial through the middle. Whether it was that they looked at Henderson at centre-back and Alexander-Arnold at right-back and thought, you know what, what we'll do here is we'll go with pace against the two of those. You probably would have been better off playing Rashford on the left and Martial through the middle. I'm not sure what the logic was, Molly, but Paul Pogba on the right wing didn't work at all. Gave the ball away 16 times in the first half. <clears throat> United will go as far as Bruno Fernandes can carry them, and that is the be-all and end-all of them. They are a one-man team. They've got good players in Rashford, in Martial, in Pogba, in defence, in Fred, whatever. Bruno is the great player in that team. They remind me of Liverpool in 2013-2014. Now, they're not as explosive in attack, but they are better defensively. But they are all about one guy. For Liverpool, it was Luis Suarez. And Suarez would win games by himself. Even if he didn't turn up and play well for the 90, he would create something or score and win them the game. For Bruno, it's exactly the same. We've seen it this season. When he hasn't played well, he has turned up. He scored a goal here, created a goal there. United have gone on to win 2-0. There's games where he plays really well and United look a million dollars and he plays brilliantly and scores twice and creates one and they win easily. Against Liverpool, he was awful. He was absolutely awful. Uh, Thiago really did a number on him defensively. Uh, he did have two big chances, though, and that's the thing. He's a, Because he's a great player, he still managed to, to find himself in the right position for two big chances. One saved by Alisson, one blocked by... Um, by Fabinho, which won't go down as a big chance, I don't think, because it was blocked by a defender, as opposed to going wide, hitting the post, or being saved. But they were two good chances that he found himself in the right spot for. So, you know, he, he could have scored two goals, even with a dreadful performance. And then the narrative around him is, is different. Um, he is a special player. He's been the best player in the league since he was signed. 
Uh, there's, I don't think there can be a doubt about that. Over the past 12 months, nobody has been better consistently. Uh, goals and assists, remarkable, carrying that team. Just a different level of player. Oli didn't understand why Donny van de Beek didn't come on for Bruno on about 60 when Bruno looked tired and looked out of sorts. Um, had a little bit of a tantrum then when he did get taken off. Uh, didn't understand why Greenwood didn't come on earlier. Pogba was dreadful. That was a change that was just crying out to be made. Um, Oli came with very little ambition, despite all his big talk, you know, a few weeks ago about how United don't play for nil-nils because it's not in the DNA. I still don't think they're a top four team. They'll probably end up in the top four, but I, I think there's five, I think there's four better teams in the league. Liverpool are better, City are better, Spurs are better, and I think Leicester are better. Um, they may well end up in the top four, but I, I think they're the fifth best team. Top or not, it's a weird season. They, they've been less bad than most people. Um, next for them, as I say, they've got Fulham. Then Sheffield United, that's back-to-back slam dunk wins. Uh, then Arsenal away, Southampton at home, Everton at home. West Brom away, Newcastle at home, and Chelsea away. Now, that is a very favourable run of games. But what it means is that from March on, their their schedule gets very, very difficult. And they do have quite a tough run in. So, if they're in, if they're in the mix for the title, maybe, I, I don't know. They'll probably get fourth. Maybe third if Spurs don't get the rack. Maybe if Liverpool don't get the rack together, they'll probably get top four. But I, I still think they're the fifth best team in the league, personally. Um, and the last game of the day uh, was Manchester City against Crystal Palace. City win this game 4-0 um, with a, a 0.9% XG, which indicates that they really are struggling to create. Now, that, that sounds ridiculous when they've scored four goals, but all four goals came from set pieces. The first goal, De Bruyne takes the corner. It's cleared. Sterling picks it up, plays it back to De Bruyne on the right-hand side, and he clips across him with the outside of his boot, and John Stones heads home. That's a goal from a set piece. I know it's not the phase of a set piece. It's the next phase, but whatever. It comes from a set piece. It's not an open play goal in my view. The second goal in the second half, Ilke Gundogan. It's a corner. It's cleared. Then it's half cleared. Gundogan wins the ball on the edge of the area, beats Milivojevic, and curls it into the top corner. It's a great goal. It's a brilliant strike, and he's been really good this season. But again, it's not a chance created in open play. It's not really a chance created. It's a guy doing it all by himself. The third goal, again, it's a set piece. It's a corner. Comes in. Ruben Diaz with the header, saved, drops John Stone's left foot, bang, goal. And then the fourth goal is a free kick on the edge of the area, which Raheem Sterling steps up and bends into the top corner. All four goals from set pieces, very little created from open play by City, which is a bit of a concern. Now, look, don't get me wrong, five wins in a row, they're the best team in the league at this point, no question. But for people saying they're back, they're nowhere close to what they were. They're just good enough to beat everybody else. <laughs> because the level between them and Liverpool and everybody else was massive. They've both dropped off. They've just recovered a little bit quicker than Liverpool. They've been on a great run of late. The Diaz-Stone centre-back pairing is working very well. At first, they were getting clean sheets, but some of them were a little bit shaky. They were relying on the goalkeeper to bail them out. Walker bailed them out a couple of times. Stones was making mistakes. Now he's not making mistakes. He's found his confidence. He's playing very, very well. This is the best run of form we've seen from John Stones. I would say probably since his first season at City. I would say this is probably his best run of form. Like Consider last year. He was fit. And they were playing Fernandinho at centre-back and missing Fernandinho in midfield, and Stone still couldn't get a game. That'll tell you where he was in, in Pep's thoughts. This season he's been, he has. He, he has come into the team, he got through a shaky first few weeks, 
and is now playing very, very well. The goals will help his confidence. They're the first goals he has scored in the league for Man City. It's a, He's now scored three this season in total. Um, one came in the League Cup. Before that, he'd managed uh, five in Cup competitions, but he'd never scored in the Premier League for City. He'd only ever scored once in the Premier League for, uh, for Everton. Um, I still... I still think Emeric Laporte is a substantially better defender, but you're not going to change a winning pair, a pair that's keeping clean sheets. It would be cruel to drop John Stones at this point because he, he is playing so well. And worst case scenario, you just keep building him up and you can sell him in the summer for really good money. Best case scenario, you've got three really good centre-backs. Because John Stones has always had the talent. He was a better defender than people gave him credit for at Everton. But obviously his predominant skill was his ability on the ball. At City, he hasn't he's no he's he's not a better defender now than he was when he left Everton. He just isn't. Pep doesn't doesn't improve defenders as defenders. He improves them as footballers and makes the defensive side easier for them, which is why people mistake it for them becoming great defenders. Jared Piquet, uh, Jerome Boatang. Average defenders, great footballers. Defense made look easy because they have far less to do. And what they're asked to do is quite rudimentary. It's often a team pinned back, lumping the ball clear, hoping to get out. That's basically what they have to do. Um, City right now look like the team who are going to win the league. Simple as that. They're second place. They do have a game in hand. It is Villa, so it's a tough one. But again, you'd expect them, you'd expect them to win it in the current form that they're in. That Villa game is on Wednesday. They win that, they go top of the league. Um, then they've got West Brom away. Then Sheffield United at home. Again, back-to-back wins. Burnley away, another win. Liverpool away. There's a tough game. That's going to be really interesting. Then they've got Spurs at home. Then they're away to Arsenal. Then they're at home to West Ham. Away to Fulham. Uh, that's actually next month, so forget about that one. Um, and they've the Manchester Derby's in there as well. That's the that but that's next month. Never mind that. Or that not next month, that's March. Never mind March. January, February, what we want to look at. The next six weeks, you would expect that City will will beat Villa, beat West Brom, beat Sheffield United, beat Burnley, beat West Ham at home. But Arsenal away, Spurs at home and Liverpool away. They're the three tough ones. There's points that they could drop there. And if they drop points there, it'll open things up for other teams. But as we sit here today, it's very difficult to see that City aren't the team that wins the league. And that is it. That is the... Oh, sorry. We might as well just give Palace a quick mention. Uh, 27% possession. Two shots on target. Uh, two shots on goal. None on target. Uh, not a very good day for Palace. And it will help the pressure mount more on Roy. They've got West Ham at home on Tuesday, followed by Wolves at home. Sorry, Tuesday week, not this Tuesday, Tuesday week. Followed by Wolves at home, Newcastle away, Leeds away, Burnley at home, Brighton away, and Fulham at home. There's a run of games there the Palace need to start need to pick up a bunch of points in. West Ham at home, a point. Wolves at home, a point. Newcastle away, a point. Leeds away will be tough. Burnley at home is a game they'll be targeting to win. Brighton away is a game they'll look for a point. Uh, Fulham at home, that's a must win. There's seven, eight points there that they can take that just keeps them churning along, keeps them you know, on path to what Roy wants, which is you know, 14th. Um, if they can finish better than that, he'll be delighted. They're on target for 46 points this season. They're halfway through the season, 23 points. Roy's aim is always 45. He's on target for 46. He'll be delighted with himself. Um, I, I think I think Palace are coming to the end of the Hodgson era, and all they need to do is get through to the end of the season. Just get through to the end of the season, find your new manager. It may be Eddie Howe. It may already be done. And then start to figure out what you want to be. Because you, you can't want to be this. Nobody wants to be this. The team that's been managed by Warnock and Allardyce and Pulis and this fella. Nobody wants to be that. Figure out what you want to be. Move towards it and stick to it. Don't do what you did with De Bruyne or De Boer where you bring him in for five games and then hockey him out the door because he's not doing as well as you expected immediately because he's trying to change everything at the club. 
figure out where you want to go and go that direction. Um, that's it. That is the show for today. Um, there's been some news over the weekend, obviously, Rooney also. I'm going to talk about that tomorrow because tomorrow's be a quieter show. There's only the one game tonight. Uh, Arsenal at home to Newcastle. They played in the cup last weekend. Arsenal won. Uh, Steve Bruce plays the most unwatchable football in the league. So, you know, it, it'll be a bit, bit of a war of attrition tonight, you'd imagine, um, on the eyes. I think Arsenal should win the game. Assuming assuming they uh, they stick with, you know, Smith Rowe, Saka. You know, no Willian. That's the key. No Willian. That's what we want to see. We don't want to see any Willian in the team, Mikel. You stick with what you're good at. Get Gabriel back in. Partey should start. I'd expect Arsenal to win this game comfortably tonight. Uh, we'll talk about the news tomorrow, and we'll talk about that game then as well, and anything else that might come up. I've got something on Alex Ferguson I want to do tomorrow as well. Um, but that's that. That is that for today. Thank you, as always, to Guy Drinkle for his uh, diligent production. Thank you to Foxhorn for our presenting music. And thank you to you, as always, for listening. Thank you for your support. Please tell a friend. Keep us growing. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.